there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. My earliest memories, and certainly some of my fondest memories too of boat fishing up here in the northwest, are of trailing my dinghy around to Walney Island, then in Lancashire, but now sadly in Cumbria, fishing for place taupe and bass. I've also charter fished the same area on a number of occasions too, but that, sadly, is no longer possible, as the sole surviving Barra-based charter boat Revenge, skipper by Stuart McCoy, who is with me here now, has recently been put out of business by the current rush to throw up offshore wind farms, here, there and everywhere, all around the coast. So give us a brief history about your boat, your charter fishing, and now, sadly, the reasoning behind why it appears all to have come to a sudden end. The Revenge is a, a Marine Products 31-foot boat, 1972. The boat was brought down to Barrow, came by road, then it was converted by Lee Simpson, he re-engined the boat. Anyway, eventually I got the boat, the boat had been uh, damaged by the dredger at Roe Island. They'd been running, coming in in the fog and running to the boat. That's how I had come to arrive at the boat. And it was very badly damaged and the lad couldn't fish with it anymore. So what happened was, we went to see the dredger uh, skipper and he admitted that he'd uh, come through the fog and got into the moorings at Roe Island, damaged the boat, so they, they were going to pay him out. So we got the boat towed up to Barrow, and then eventually I bought the boat off him for a daft price, because it was virtually an insurance write-off. So six weeks later I had it repaired and back running again. Took her quite a bit of doing at the time of the year, so I got rid of my other old boat that I had, and this was all happened about... Um, I'd say 23, 24 years ago now. Anyway, we uh, we used to always pick our angling parties up at the deep water berth with approval from the docks board. And so we had to have access to get across to their land. And because it's associated British ports, a railway port, we needed permission off the harbour master, which we did get. He said, well, we'll sort out a bill for you one of the days. But this bill never, ever arrived. But on the understanding that Odd times when we've been out, the boys got away, broken adrift, and they needed somebody to tow it in. Well, we used to tow the boy in for them, and instead of charging them for the towing the boy in, we just knocked it off the rent that we owed them for using the steps, which was probably a bad thing in the end, because it meant that uh, we had no uh, actual working agreement to use the steps. So we'll, when the, all these wind farm people arrived at the port, we had no working arrangement, although a working arrangement regarding the health and safety of getting people on and on the boat safely and crossing the docks board land, we had to have a, our insurance had to cover people for that. But uh, because we weren't paying any rent for the use of, well, we just sort of uh, got shifted on out of the way, you know. They preferred these other people to use it. They were going to bring some money to the port. So that's how we, uh, we ended up at that stage. We've not been able to work anymore regarding the steps. The, uh, the wind farm people took over uh, the use of all the uh, deep water berth and have built new jetties and new uh, facilities for getting people on and off the work boats that run out to the wind farm. And we used to have no access to, to use this facility because of the uh, implications of getting people and using their jetties and health and safety. Uh, you have to have inductions to access the boats and their launchways and gang planks etc and of course these places are locked up through the night so if you were out a little bit late coming in you wouldn't better get your people off anyway because they've all got home and locked the gates 
So there's absolutely no prospects at all, as it stands, of getting anglers on board and reviving your business. Well, I did consider using a dinghy to some description, but the dinghy would have to be also MCA'd, and because people have that much gear to take on and off boats now, and because the MCA states we have to have a, a metre-high handrail around the boat safety rail, to get people over the rail from the water would be almost physically impossible, especially when they're weighing about 16 or 18 stone and they've got about two stones of uh, fishing tackle in the big box and weights and all the rest of the stuff, and it only needs one person to drop the gear or stand on the side of the dinghy, upset the dinghy, and because of the tides in Walney Channel, it's just not really feasible. So I thought, at the end of the day, it's not going to work that way. Albeit, I have been to see the new harbour master. He was an ex-fisherman, uh, or his father was at Fleetwood, Neil Atkinson. His dad, Peter Atkinson, used to have the uh, boat at Fleetwood. It's a possibility that he might be a bit more friendly towards fishermen here at Barrow, and we might get some facility. But in the meantime, I don't think it's going to happen. And I'm getting older as well, so whether I want to carry on doing it for another five years, I'm not sure yet. I feel that I'd like to, but um, it is getting harder to do with all the uh, legislation and the restrictions that are being imposed on charter boats and uh, the safety regulations that's involved and the cost of fuel as well to run a boat. It's, it's getting quite restrictive. But I've still got a meeting, hopefully, with the harbour master, maybe next week. But uh, it's a possibility that somebody's been interested in my boat and I might send it on to them if, if I can get some arrangement for him to take it on as a, as a charter fishing boat. You know, maybe get the other two chips out with him and show him the grounds maybe and, and the ropes. So we'll just see where we go from there. What does the future hold for anglers needing to fish from charter boats such as yours in the Barrow area? You can't relax the uh, safety regulations on the boats or anything, but I think the implications of all the uh, inductions and uh, making it very difficult, like we cut back on the actual uh, loading on the boat to eight people as opposed to 12 because we were finding that we weren't filling enough cars to get people on, so the cost of the boat needs to be a, a realistic figure. Fortunately, I don't need to make a lot of money out of this venture. So I run the boat virtually, not at a loss, but a self-financing hobby, uh, which is good for the anglers. Okay for me, because I got my days fishing for uh, no cost, virtually. And it paid for my fees and my insurance, the hire of the life raft, and uh, offset a fair proportion of the cost of the fuel for the boat. But, of course, you've still got all your other little costs that are involved regarding uh, your flares and surveys, and which are getting very restrictive, you know, the, the cost of these surveys coming from Wales to here. It's just a lot, a lot of money. And uh, getting the boat to um, through these surveys, although I did work on the boat uh, six years ago, I did it ashore for a good period of time and put new decks and new engine beds, new all new stern gear for the MCA so I could carry on after my retirement but uh, because of the way things have gone the boat's been out of use for 18 months which now needs quite a lot of work to bring it back up to a standard again for the MCA so these things are very uh, restrictive to regarding that uh, they don't help at all These they try to help, there's a guy up in the Lake District apparently would survey the boat now but uh, 
until there's such time that you've got an access to get people on and off the boat, there's no point in even pursuing it. But the boat is held, held on uh, suspension. I've paid for the fees to keep the boat on suspension with the MCA until we find out what's happening. So we'll have to just wait and see where we can go from there. So all's not lost yet for chartering out in Barrett, but it isn't looking too rosy either. It's not looking over rosy, but these wind farm people apparently are pulling out from the port towards this back end, but they will still leave a, a large number of survey boats or maintenance boats that will use these uh, landing stages and jetties. But the next phase is from 2012, 2013, before they start any heavy work again, where they'll need probably more engineers and stuff backwards and forwards and more boats for the next phase. So it might be a little transition period where something might transpire, I don't know. Uh, there is a jetty coming available to the south side of the dock gates, which Dong Energy, I believe, are going to leave there. Whether it's, uh, you can get access to it through the port or not, I'm not sure as yet. But the port might be interested in perhaps maybe leasing that off. But we'll have to just see what the harbour master says about that. It may be that it could be used to pick up people safely and put people down. You need this transition throughout the whole range of the tide. If, if you get blown back in, you need to be able to get people on and off the boat at any stage of tide. And because of the rise and fall in the Barra Channel, you know, with 30-odd foot rise and fall, we need to uh, be able to get in there at low water or when on big tides as well when it's, you know... Now that's the immediate situation and how that might be playing out. But what about the build-up to that and to when the boat could be accessed by anglers? So what I'd like to do now is have you take us back as far as you can remember. How did you develop your interest in fishing and what was the quality of fishing on offer in the Barrow area as that interest was developing into and during your early charter fishing days? As a lad I was interested in fishing and I, I lived near the, the docks and I was about um, eight years old and we used to go to Hanny's Tackle Shop in Crelling Street in Barrow and buy these little hapney hooks. I think you got about four for a hapney little black hooks and tie them on a piece of string and put a worm on each one and a weight of some description, a nut or something, didn't have any lead, and chuck it into the dock and we used to catch eels by the bucket load. And we used to bring them home and we used to eat all these eels and my granny used to get the skins off them, we used to use them for uh, bandages, for around your wrist for sprains and things, they were ideal for this sort of job, put them on wet and let them dry. And that's how we started fishing, but as I got a little bit older, I started uh, going up to Ron Head, fishing up there with a long line, me and another lad called Ronnie Bardsley, and we eventually had 2,000 hooks, which we fished uh, twice a day, and then uh, we used to go up there, this was during the school holidays, but we used to come down with bucket loads of place and cod. We did have actually a sturgeon at one stage. We uh, picked up bass as well. We had a little line for catching bass, which is just silly fishing, really. We, we used to catch cod up to £10. Place were regular at 4 and £5. But like dustbin leads, you know, absolutely amazing fishing. And we didn't even have a fork to dig bait. We had these uh, fast-running uh, gutters. We started off one morning really, we were up there, we did have a fork originally, and one morning we were splashing down, thought what's that noise, you know, and we went along to this bank and this bank's all been eroded away by the tide, cutting underneath of it, and just going along and the worms are just falling out of this bank, 
well, big, great big black worms and lugworms. And just going along picking them up by the handful. So I thought there's no point digging them anymore, we'll just get them this way. So we just used a little piece of wood underneath the bank, let the tide hit it and it undermined the bank and it all collapsed down. Go along, pick all the worms up and we'll say we're baiting 2,000 hooks twice a day and never had a fall. But that's how we started off fishing. But then eventually as I got to the older school, they, uh, they had a sailing club in the school. We had to go down to Peel Island on the, with a, a boat called a Crusader, which is a 28 foot 6 uh, motor launch with an old Kelvin engine, 15-16 Kelvin petrol paraffin engine. And then uh, we towed the, uh, the sailing boats down to Peel Island, picked up a moon on Peel Bight, Spedding's Moon, which was a boat that was called the Quest, an old Morecambe Bay Prawner type. And then we sat on his mooring, rowed ashore, got a bucket of mussel, come back aboard the boat, and the lads that weren't sailing, we just got the cabin lines out, hand lines, the old cod lines, with a uh, coat hanger on it, a couple of hooks, and it was a place in the cod every time virtually. And we just dropped down, straight down from the side of the boat, and went up with a box of fish, a box of cod and a box of place, every time. You know, absolutely amazing fishing, just sat on the moon and just waiting for your turn to go out on the boat face. And then on the Sunday, this is a Saturday with a school day, on the Sunday I used to go angling with uh, the Crusader. I used to help him to start the engine and put the uh, anglers aboard. We used to board them with it because there's no facility there then really. And we used to row them aboard but people came with a little box with a cabin line and a few worms which they dug at Ronhead on the way down. So we, we didn't have to, we didn't have all this fancy gear that you had now, rods and reels and, and everything. We just would do it over the cabin line and we fished at Morecambe Flats just around the end of Walney. We were catching tope and cod and plaice and bass and all sorts of fish were just coming up just for the fun of it, just around the end of Walney. And that's how I became uh, interested in the charter fishing. But I didn't do that until a lot later on in, when I left school eventually, I, I went in the... Uh, in the Navy, in the Merchant Navy for 10 years and then when I came out of the Navy I, I ended up buying a trawler wondering what I was going to do next so I was a trawler skipper for 7 years which was very interesting albeit I knew nothing about trawling but I uh, got a couple of lads on the boat that had done a little bit with different people very basic trawling but we soon learned, you know we had an old side trawler, the Easter Morn which we had for a few years and then sold that bought a stern trawler, in fact I bought a tug and converted it to a stern trawler, named it after my daughter, 60 foot tug, and uh, which is a very powerful towing boat and we caught a lot of fish, stern fishing. And then uh, I did some beam trawling with different boats and I finished up with a 68 foot um, twin beam trawler, uh, 50 ton, and we used to catch a lot of fish with that, big cod out there off the uh, front of Walney. 10 to 20 mile out, lots of big cod, cod up to 60 pound, believe it or not, and haddock, absolutely amazing, floating nets, coming up, bulging with fish, in fact they used to stop the boat sometimes, there was that much fish in them, with all the uh, pelting and cod and everything swimming together, it was just absolutely an enormous bags of fish, you didn't have to pull them up, they just floated the net up, five or six hundred weight trawl doors, steel trawl doors, they come up as well. Totally amazing. We used to have burst nets at times where the fish burst in the net. Couldn't believe it. 
And amongst these, we, saw, we, we also caught a, a fair wacky haddock, which you don't see much of now. Having said that, about uh, eight or nine years ago, I was out on a boat, to, I was, I was going to go fishing myself, and I set off to go out, and one of the lads was going out netting. He said, where are you going? Shouted on the radio, I said, oh, I'm just going out for a bit of a fish on the, down in the bay. I was on my own, I had a bit of bait, a bit of crab and stuff. He said, put your boat back on the moon and come and give us aunt a haul some nets. So I got some nets down in the bay, on the rough ground, halfway across Smokin' Bay. So just off the slope there, as we call it. So I went with him to pull these nets, and the whole and behold, we'd about uh, half a dozen nice haddock in his nets down in the bay, as recent as that, six or seven years ago. So it just shows that they may be coming back because of the less fishing effort, I don't know, or... Oh, well, it was just one of them lucky days. But that's how um, things are changing round, from how they used to be to the amounts of fish that were there, to the getting less and less, uh, the efforts that's being involved in all this business. Uh, there's less effort, fishing effort, so maybe these fish may come back again. We'll have to just see how things are turn around there. And from commercial fishing, with a love for online fishing too, inevitably perhaps you started taking charter parties out. So when was that? I bought a, an old lifeboat off a chap, a fiberglass lifeboat with an old four-cylinder Ford engine, which wasn't a very successful type boat. It needed quite a lot of work on it. And I bought that, and, and I had some lads, some uh, friends that wanted to go fishing. So I said, uh, I'll take you out fishing. Before that, I, I did actually take a doctor out fishing. He was a family doctor a lot of years ago when I had it down at Row Island and he used to give me a couple of bob for fuel and I thought oh, that's not a bad way to go around it although this wasn't a licensed boat as such in those days but it was just taking out your friends and family and so there was no implications uh, of making any money at the thing but um, I thought this this could go forward so this boat we eventually we got it this old lifeboat we did actually get it uh, licensed by the local authority who in those days did the local uh, licensing for charter boats before the MCA were implicated. I thought, this isn't bad, this, this is a, quite a good living, going out and, uh, with kids at school, at college and things. So it was quite uh, a good way of helping with some of their costs. I was going out more and more. The weekends were busy and there was catching lots of fish and the lads, the same people were coming back all the time. The same, we were advertising for anglers. They, they, People got to know that we were going out, taking people out fishing, and they just phoned it up, will you take us out, will you take us out? You know, it was just such an, a good thing to do, and I love the fishing myself, I always fish myself, which is what the, the main thing I, uh, I did it for, so it was my hobby, so I thought, this is great, this. And then eventually we did get another charter boat, a bigger charter boat, albeit this boat had been damaged by the dredger, and I refurbished it, got it MCA'd properly in due course when all this new legislation come out and the boat was a successful boat. It's still a successful boat in the fact that it's, albeit we haven't you've been out for 18 months, but it's still there to be used, the boat's still in good order, so it's ready to carry on working for a few more years. Now you've already touched on the very high calibre of fishing that was available before your chartering days. But how does the fishing during those early chartering years compare to what you have today, or what you would have today if Dong Energy would see some sense? The species that we catch at Barrow are still very prolific. 
I think there's more species here than probably anywhere else in the country. The type of fishing I enjoyed was the drift fishing. So they were covering all the different uh, types of ground. On a good day, a good average day, I would expect to catch at least 14 different species of fish. This is summertime fishing, of course. The, the species that we would catch, I have to think of, just go through them briefly. But I mean, apart from uh, fish that were uh, nuisance fish, like your dogfish, you know, smooth hounds and stuff, taupe, you've got your weavers and gurnards, red and grey gurnards, uh, garfish, we've got the place, dabs, uh, the odd dover soles, lemon soles, cod, whiting, pollock, coley. And I believe you get the odd black bream out there too. Started picking up black bream about 15 years ago. Only one specific point we used to pick them up, but we've had black bream up to one and a half pound, just over one and a half pound, consistently uh, throughout the summer. We were just starting in and out off the rough ground, just off the front of Walney. Yeah, there's uh, different types of ras, cuckoo ras and corkwing ras, and different species, and, and the bigger ras, up to four and five pound. Some really nice fish, good sporty fish. We used to catch turbot, not so much with a rod and line, but we used to get the hake, silver hake. And then we've always had um, the herring, which we we found, we used to catch regular underneath the, when we were fishing for mackerel. If you put a bigger weight on and drop through the mackerel, underneath the mackerel, we often caught some nice herring. Good strings of herring, absolutely amazing to see. And also scads which we don't see so much of, but quite often they come up in the summer. And the odd top knot, we've got a couple of different varieties of dragonets. You start weighing up how many different species you'd catch on a good day. Absolutely amazing, really. And in terms of the species everybody wants to catch, fish like bass, place and cod, typically, what sorts of sizes did you see regularly back then compared to what you might expect to get out there now? We never really targeted bass so much with the commercial fishing because it was just too much noise on the boat and people didn't work sophisticated enough with the gear. And when they were schooling, we often just uh, would take some decent fish out. If you could get underneath the schooling fish when they were in the bay and the bass, you'd flick a different set, and set of cod feathers into them or something, you could take some good fish out with the bigger hooks, four and five pound bass but maybe two and three at a time. They were just whacking onto the hooks, unbelievably so. But the average fish was probably a couple of pounds, quite a lot smaller fish, the bass. The place and the cod, I've seen cod up to 18 pound, quite regular on the front of Walney. Average was probably about three pound. I've seen every rod on the boat, doubled over with three and four fish on every rod, all at the same time, pulling up cod and pollock, unbelievably amounts of fish you're just struggling to pull them up and all good fish good eating size fish place uh, we used to work the spoons for the place with the lures and a mackerel strip for looking for the better place and I've had place up to five pound at the lightning knoll just off the knoll there in fact I've seen them coming up to the surface following the baits up it's just amazing that they'll come up from that deep because they're a predatory fish which I don't think a lot of people are aware of with place. A bit of sand eel or a mackerel strip will entice them up, same as they do for the uh, turbot and the brill. 
they'll come up with the same thing for the fish baits as opposed to worm. That was back then, but what about now? Nowadays I'd be pleased to see a place on the boat at all. Drifting the front of only very, very rare if you ever saw a place now. Even fishing for place for targeting place, some places in the bay, shallower places, you sit the place are there still, and, and round the end of Walney, into the Walney Channel, they're still getting some good place up to Walney Bridge, uh, three, four, five pound breeding size fish. These are the, mainly the netters that are catching these. The fish are there still, and the anglers do tend to get one now and again on the crab in the channel, but the, the, the amount of fish on the outside, because all the uh, uh, the problem being, in my opinion, the mussel dredges that have been coming to the uh, Morecambe Bay, south of Morecambe Bay area, for so long, for 20 odd years now, have taken all the pin mussel, which is the prime food for the place, when they're young, because there's no mussel there for them to feed on anymore, or the pin mussel, and on the front of Walney, where they, they do come and take mussel occasionally, I think because all that's gone, the fish aren't coming back the same as they used to do. Uh, it's made a big difference to the uh, to the fishing effort round here, and also to every other fishing effort. In it. The cod that you catch in the bay later on in the year, they're still coming back, but because there's the feed isn't there for the cod, in regards to the uh, the shrimp, shrimp has been whacked out a lot, and the, the mussel that they feed on, and the feed that's in the, within the mussel banks, the, the crab and lamprey and all the small butterfish that living within the uh, on these banks have all been wiped away, so that has slowed down the uh, the cod fishing in that area as well. It's made a big difference. When I was targeting place here back in the late 1970s on through into the 80s, I concentrated my efforts on Ernsey Bay, putting the boat in close to the Holiday Park and heading on up into the Dudden, which is riddled with low water drying banks. The further up into the estuary it went, the more the flounders took over. But down in front of the airstrip, it was absolutely incredible. I remember us once boating over 530 place and dabs during a single session. We go that way, or used to go that way, to the uh, Dudden, but it's, we didn't need to go that far to catch uh, fish really. The fishing was all round the end of the Walney, off Mulgrews as we call it. You didn't need to go any farther than that. All the species you'd want, even to the skates that we fished off the Lightning Knoll, you only had to go half a mile south of a lightning old boy and the amount of skate that you just fanked up there on and the skate was uh, you know, up to 23, 24, 5 pound skate was regular. Uh, lots of small patches but because of the wind farms I think and you've been uh, susceptible to the uh, feeds from the supply that they put into the ground I think that's caused them, a lot of those to disappear but I mean in Morecambe Bay also the um, the fish there, bog hole as you used to call it, furthest bank hole, they used to be full of skate. The Dudden we never really did a great deal, it was a long way to go and it wasn't necessary to fish that far up. You know as far as we needed to go was as far as the Codmarks halfway up the island. But I know there are people that do fish up that way. I fished the Black Huts when I was a youth, you know, a long lining up there out the front of the Black Huts. And we used to catch loads of place and dabs, cod and bass. There's always a good selection of fish up that way. But because of the way things are now, it's just more difficult to get up there. The bait diggers still are going around that way, driving round from wherever it is they can access the shore. 
but I mean it's not good to see these vehicles on the shore really but the bait beds up there are still prolific still good bait beds so if they've got the baits up there then you tend to find that the fish are there also but the, the, you need to be aware that those banks up there there are a lot of soft sands up there sinking sands so if the wind farm people from Dong Energy hadn't come along and effectively prevented you going about your business, what would be the attraction to visiting charter parties now in 2011? It's such an exposed piece of coast and shoal water and strong tides, the weather is shocking around this part. We need to have a damn good boat and local knowledge. The wind over tide situation around the end of Walney is very, very, very dangerous. We, we mainly fish just off the corner of the island, and into Morecambe Bay. We fished halfway over the bay on this, what we call the slope and it was always those dabs there. We still picked up the skate with the cod was the main species and we also fished on some very very good whiting. We had really good winter whiting when the frosts were on the hard frosts and we got whiting up to three pound. In fact you looked at them and you weren't sure whether you had a, a good pollock or a good whiting. It was just coming up really good fish beautiful fish, the best I've ever seen, good deep fish and the dabs were still there throughout the winter they seemed to hang on, nice dabs but the whiting was the main species, very prolific whiting we also got a good run of cod right through virtually through till January and then from January on we'd start fishing more our side of the bay picking up pollock, just on the corner of the island there the pollock was starting to move around and we got coley within the channel confines around the end of a uh, leg light and we also got a cod the cod was seemed to fish hang on virtually in the channel all the time number two boy there was always cod there in fact the lads still do a lot of netting and gill netting in the channel for the cod at that point as well as play some bits and pieces we used to always catch good skate in the channel in Corpse Hall we used to breed in Corpse Hall years ago I don't think this happens anymore, but I'm sure that um, there's probably still an odd skater too in the Walney Channel that will probably find their way in. Gasworks Hall and round the corner of Walney was, a, was always a good place for skate, close in. But as soon as you got the snow on the mountains and the fresh water coming down, that's when you started to pick the skate. So that was the time for us to fish for the skate. The brackish water used to shove them out from the bay into the, into the sea, into the estuaries. It was always the best time for those, and good skate, and lots of them. People used to catch them by the, virtually by the ton at one stage. It must have been three and four deep on the bottom. <laughs> good fishing days. Now I would expect to still catch the cod and the, the dabs. I don't think the whiting are coming the same as they used to do. There's a lot of pin whiting, small whiting. I've not seen a decent whiting for the last four or five years, six years maybe. You know, I like a good feed of whiting, they're a lovely fish to eat. The dabs are still there, we're still catching the dabs. But the dabs are quite thin through the winter once they've spawned. But uh, the cod was the main species, we're still looking for the cod all the time. And, and they're nice cod, they're good tasting cod, these, these smoke and bay cod. You don't get cod like them anywhere in the country, I don't think. They have the fuller shrimp and crab, and they have a lovely taste. Good firm fish. Uh, so they were the main species, main target species. I mentioned earlier launching at Ernsey Bay to fish the Dudden. I was fishing from a displacement boat back then with a 9.9 .9 Johnson engine. 
When I eventually swapped that for a fast planing boat, I would then sail across the bay, and obviously your stamping grounds around South Walney, particularly Mulgrew's farm and the heavy ground off Bigger Village, which were both my main focus. Off Bigger, it was mainly summer cod, with huge numbers as well as good fish, because that's one hell of a good patch of reef. The ground years ago was better than it is now. What happened here, unfortunately, there was a vessel came from uh, Whitby, uh, one of these uh, rock hopper trawlers, and he'd gone into Fleetwood. He'd asked the Fleetwood lads, he said, where's there any rough ground I can fish? And he, it wasn't a very big boat, it was a boat that could fish within the uh, three mile limit of the shore. So they thought, oh, we'll, we'll sort this fella out. So they said, get up to the front of Walney and fish there, he said. This, they thought, oh, he'll only last a day and he'll bust all his gear, he'll be back off to Whitby out the way. But this fella had this new sophisticated rock off gear and he wasn't bothered about busting a few nets and causing damage. But the amount of fish that he took off that ground, but the trouble was is that he shifted all the stones and flattened all the rough ground and pulled it all about and uh, just destroyed, virtually destroyed the really fine bits of ground that were up there. There's still rough ground there, but not to the extent that it used to be rough. And so this is what destroyed the best fishing that we had here. He wasn't bothered where he dragged, he just chafed all this gear up and down and dragged all the roughs about and the big rocks and stones and bits of whatever. We have such uh, quite stormy weather on the front of Walney. It's the sand patches within the stones that provide layup areas for place and fish can get onto these bits of sand to bury themselves and and do, but the rough ground around it where the cod can feed and also the bass as well, the bass of chasing up the sand eels in these patchy bits of ground and there's still good bass fishing uh, in these patches if you can just find where the patches of sand are between the stones, there's the sand eels are on there still and the lawns, so you can catch them with your feathers pick them up around the end of Walney, the lawns and sand eel and that's what the bass are feeding for, mainly over the bar on the end of Walney, the sandbar there, it's all sand eel fishing there. Such a lot of sand eel and launce on that ground. And there's patches of weed which are coming back again. You get some good rock cod in this weed, this nice red cod that you get. And they're absolutely amazing fish, lovely fish. And there's lots of uh, clockamunges. Well, are they? Sea uh, scorpions. Sea scorpions, yeah, we local name for them clockamunges. There's lots of those up there. In fact, there seems to be more of those now than ever there has been, for whatever reason. There must be something good for them down there, when you feed. The last time I fished that area was aboard Andy Bradbury's Blue Mink out from Fleetwood, the idea being to fish for cod around Mulgrews. And from the first drop to the last, it was wall-to-wall taupe all the way. Well, the taupe has always been very prolific around the end of Walney. People get the wrong impression, really. They all go fishing for taupe with their mackerel. But uh, when we fished taupe here years and years ago, we only ever used dabs, small dabs, live-baited dabs for taupe, which is probably why the taupe are still coming around. I don't think a taupe would ever catch a mackerel, but the amount of dabs that are on the bottom round here, there's more and more small dabs than ever. And I think this is why there's so many taupe around the front of Walney now, because the fishing effort isn't taking out the dabs uh, and that's probably why there's so many taupe coming back, which is a good thing. It's the taupe and a good day's sport fishing. 
Well, that's one possible reason. A friend of mine was up here with his boat several weeks ago looking for cod, and again, the only fish on the inshore grounds were taupe, grabbing literally everything that went down. And the suspicion is that electromagnetic fields coming off the cables from the Walney turbines are affecting the ability of taupe to successfully hunt in the wind farm area, because they, like all sharks and rays, are equipped to pick up electrical impulses from the prey fish, which it appears are being badly effective. So now it seems they've been pushed inshore where they all seem to be concentrated up. I'm not sure really. I thought taupe would be a, a bit wary of the electric fields. It's possible that they are driving them in. But because there aren't any other predators, netters, trawlers, to, um, with a taupe, and there's not as many people been out fishing probably this year because of the weather, so there's probably a lot more taupe to be caught. Taupe are now more protected species, uh, so there's probably more and more taupe coming on the grounds. A lot of people used to eat taupe or take them for their animals. I mean, taupe cooked rice and a bad eating fish. I mean, we used to eat them ourselves years ago. Once you got rid of the ammonia off them, and uh, so the taupe was often made a different, different species of something to eat on the table. From what I understand about power cable electromagnetism, it seems to me that these create a no-go area dividing the taupe packs into two, some being pushed offshore and the remainder in close where the angling boats tend to fish. But the truthful answer is that nobody really knows for sure. So isn't it about time that somebody made a point of trying to find out? After all, isn't wind-generated electricity supposed to be eco-friendly? If it was having the same effect on birds or some other animal population that can be seen with the naked eye, people would be absolutely up in arms. But because it's fish, which people generally can't see, it seems to matter only to anglers. Well, I think the research would be a good thing to find out. There's an effect on, on the top in that respect. But I'm not so sure. I, I think because there's so little fishing effort, I think that these fish are, uh, are returning in greater numbers to the shores and that eventually we might need to do something about taking the top back out again. There's no fishing effort within these areas now from trawlers and line fishing boats. I mean, there used to be lots of line fishing boats uh, working the area for um, the spur dog which were a, a welcome source of food. We used to catch a lot of spur dog here at one stage, although we haven't seen them for a good few years. We used to catch them virtually by the ton, but these have been virtually wiped out over the fishing efforts. But now they may be because there's not so many fishing for lining, taking the tope with the spur dog and stuff. Maybe they are returning in bigger numbers and they will, they will come back as a predatory fish. I know we've always had a problem up the front of Walney on a, on a good day. You're looking for a good day's fishing and you just cannot get down over the last few years for, for taupe. And certainly the smaller taupe, which seems to be a lot more uh, as opposed to the bigger taupe. The small taupe, you know, the, the uh, six, five, six, seven, eight pound fish are just a damn nuisance, especially if you're mackerel fishing and, and they're drifting along and they're just snapping at everything that's in sight. So it could be that there's just a, a getting a more and more underground, I think. Are you also not finding, though, that while it is true that there is less fishing effort, which theoretically should allow fish stocks to recover, when it does, it's not with the same mix and balance of species which it had before. For example, thornbite rays in Morecambe Bay, which you mentioned earlier. We catch them now regularly along the field, where we rarely ever saw them before, 
and the River Mersey is absolutely stuffed solid with the things. But they're still rare on their old stamping grounds up around Lightning Knoll. Well, I think the balance for the skates, I think, is like we were saying before. The skates are fishing on the on the uh, on the mussel banks. They're, they're uh, uh, feeding on the, on the, on the lampreys and mussels and uh, shellfish and stuff that they can crush up with their jaws. But because they've been taken from Morecambe Bay by the dredges that are dredging for the mussel, I think that maybe that's why the skate are, are not as uh, prolific in Morecambe Bay. Within the wind farm area, some of the people the other side of the wind farm, netters and trawlers, have had one or two good lifts of skate. So the fish are out there somewhere, but they're not coming into into their inshore waters because the feed isn't inside for them. The, the habitat that they had in the past has been uh, wiped out by these industrial trawlers for mussel. Then that's a big knock-on effect with all the species that are which is maybe why the, the toll park going into the bay the same, because all the feed that was there in the bay for them isn't there because of the uh, mussels, and so now they're looking for elsewhere for, for the feed, which is maybe up the front of Walney, and maybe they didn't, because they aren't fish the same with the, uh, f- for the mussel. So uh, probably at the end of the day, I suspect that they're, uh, they're making a big influence on, on the, the whole aspect of fishing in the area the mussel dredges. As soon as they stop the better I think they need sorting out. Do you think the Barrow and Furnace will ever become a charter fishing port again? I don't think so. I don't think so. The reason being there's no suitable people to take people out. They need to have these uh, qualifications or longevity of being at sea and the peace people are not available anymore. The, uh, the younger people that are just messing around with dinghies, they're already messing around with dinghies, but when it comes to uh, the health and safety and managing a bigger vessel and fueling and running a boat without, you know, from a dinghy and the time effort, I would like to see it, but I, I can't see that it will ever return, whereas we had about 20 boats from Barrow at one stage, to just my own boat now, and, and one other boat that's in the dock that's not been fishing really commercially on the charter fishing, it would be nice to see it happen again, but I can't see it ever getting going. But it's just the restrictive practice of the cost of fuel. People getting to here or days fishing, it's quite expensive. I think it's a bit prohibitive. There's fewer and fewer charter boats. I can't see it ever really taking off again. Hopefully it will, I'd like to see it. If we can keep it going, I'd like to see it. And, as was said at the start, the prohibitive nature of what Dong Energy are doing in terms of getting people on board. Well, that is the biggest thing, is getting people on and off the boat safely. It's a shame, really. Even a waste. There's you with all that experience which people are willing to buy into, but still, you can't get them afloat. Yeah, I I absolutely love the fishing, taking people out. I like the crack with the lads, and I love to see all these people coming back again and again and again which shows to me the only reason they come back is because they've enjoyed the day out fishing, which is what it's all about at the end of the day, to have a good day out fishing, a bit of crack with the lads, a few fish for the table, and this is just what it's all being spoilt by uh, not being able to access these people on and off the boat safely. The same people have been coming with me for 20 odd years, you know, which is uh, it's lovely to see these people. In fact, I still go fishing with them now, but we are... Now I go to Whitby on a, on a different vessel, 
and meet up with these same people that fish on my boat and we get together and have a good, still have the same crack but now we're having to go to the other course to do it. So it's just a bit disappointing really that you get to my age and being forced to finish fishing. Hopefully I was going to carry on for another five years, albeit I'm retired anyway, but I was quite happy to carry on for another five years at least, taking the lads out. This I have phone calls virtually every day, people wanting to still go fishing. Are you going out? Are you going out? You know, the business is still there. People wanting to come fishing, but without being able to get them on and off the boat, and of course we need to do the MCA five-year survey again and everything, get the boat back up to scratch. The boat is still out, sat out on the moon. It has been out there for the last 18 months without actually being moved. It's just a bit galling, really. Looking at the bigger picture now and the many proposals awaiting the go-ahead for yet more wind farms all around the country, are these not going to be the final nail in the coffin of inshore charter boat fishing from many other ports? I don't think that windmills, in effect, are going to be a bad thing. Certainly these new big windmills that are close into Barrow, because of the erosion and the, and the weather and seabed conditions, they've actually put hundreds of tonnes of rock piles around these uh, bases of these windmills, and already the lads that are on some of the boats, the local lads that are out there, have been catching cod to four and five pound around these windmills, even in this early day. They've only been in operation for less than 12 months. Maybe there are harbours around these windmills for sea life to live, be food for fish and harbours for fish that uh, where the trawlers can't get to and, and maybe in time it could be quite a good uh, fishing area. I believe down off Rill, the, uh, some of the people that fish down the wind farm there are uh, catching good quantities of uh, fish again. So maybe in time it, it could be um, maybe a help to the environment. But still there remains a problem, because although the wind farm people can't stop boats going in between the turbines, because of the cables they don't want them anchoring there. So working small targets such as bowlers around the base of a turbine then becomes very difficult in all but ideal conditions. I don't think you'd be anchoring it, but I should think the drift fishing should be fine in round and about the wind farms. I, I could see, understand the anchoring could be a bit of risk if you picked up a cable. Certainly, you wouldn't encourage that at all. But if you were just to be drifted fishing through uh, in round and about these windmills, I can't see that they're going to stop people doing that with small boats. Maybe a bigger commercial boat like... Uh, uh, they may do because um, I don't think you'd do any damage but you might damage your own boat that would be the biggest risk I would think with a small boat you better just push it off the side of a windmill and you wouldn't be out there in bad weather anyway so I know I have fished inside the other windmills the first one that was put up out there and fished quite close up to the windmills I did actually do some survey work for the wind farm people initially I was coming right up to the long side of the, the legs to do survey work well, it's not going to happen there, stuff, you know, it's just wreck your boat, if anything. But uh, the fishing around the other windmills at the south end of Walney has, hasn't made any difference at all. It's, it's, it's just poor out there. There seems to be nothing there at all. Uh, people that have tried, this, this year in fact, I know people that have tried, have done nothing. But certainly the new wind farm, there has been fish caught around them up to four and five pound cod. And there's mackerel have been uh, quite good around them too, uh, schooling around them, so 
hopefully it might be some uh, some some good might come of the, uh, the what they what they're doing out there. What you're saying in effect then is that while the wind farm has put pay to the prospects of charter fishing in the Barrow area, at the same time, there could also be benefits to fish population numbers which only small private boats will be able to tap into. I think it possibly could. Once they're all up and they've stopped knocking natural piles in, the noise that they're setting up out there, 100 miles away you can hear these piles being driven into the ground and uh, it's just phenomenal. So if they still fish around after all that noise is on the ground, it can only get better once they've gone. Already, so talking to uh, one of the lads that is a beach fisherman and is catching regular fish, pound and a half to two pound off the shore, and four and five pound coming off occasionally, which is good fish off the shore, which you haven't seen for a little while. So, I think possibly that uh, things are returning to some degree to some normality. I mean, there's no trawlers here at Barrow now. There's one lad still doing a bit of netting, but there's only one or two trawlers left at Fleetwood, and you won't see another vessel. So that's not bad in that respect. There's no trawlers whizzing across the front of Walney like you used to do when I was fishing. You know, there'd be 20, 30 trawlers working off the front of Walney, and the back of the uh, lights, false loon as they called it, just off into Morecambe Bay. I've seen 20 trawlers there and taking 20 and 30 boxes of cod each on a day. And a good day's fishing, good fish. That's just into Morecambe Bay, close in. You know, it's amazing really that those fish could return again. I think in time, I think that they'll all be back. And that's a nice positive note to end the interview on. I sincerely hope you're right, particularly with regard to the localised effect on fish stocks and cartilaginous species in particular because protest as much as we might, over the next few decades, turbines are going to continue popping up everywhere they can physically get them in, forming a visual as well as a subsurface barrier, possibly dividing what goes on inshore of them from life out on the seaward side. Anyway, let's wait and see. My thanks then to Stuart McCoy for sharing his thoughts with us here.